to the outrageous behavior that we see going on um, in many of our cities as a result of this election. Above that outrageous behavior, above the natural reaction we might have to that behavior, there exists a great opportunity for the kingdom of God. If we can get our eyes off of the distractions and onto what the Lord is saying. You know, we could angrily or in a condescending way view the foolishness as the failure of social engineering or we could see this thing through Christ's eyes. We can see it through the eyes of the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 9, one of the verses that I gave you, uh, or it says of Jesus in Matthew 9, beginning of verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Jesus came into the world in very tumultuous times. I'm sure people's behavior was outrageous uh, oftentimes, but as he just took a general view, his response, his responses were always amazing, but his response was, they are sheep without a shepherd. Nobody else would look at that mess and come up with that kind of a response. I mean, who else but Jesus would hang on the cross of Calvary as the most horrific, guilt-laced crime in all of human history was being committed at that very second and committed upon him and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Nobody but God has a perspective like that. It's really amazing. And Jesus looked at the crowds and he noticed how bewildered they were. I mean, in the natural, I look at it and I think somebody needs a good knock upside the head. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's all kinds of reactions and responses. And people sharing their responses to all this are just about ready to come to blow. I mean, they're arguing. There's all kinds of strife going on. But Jesus looks at it and says, let me tell you what the problem is. You see, Jesus is the answer. He's not the response. Jesus is the answer. There are all kinds of responses, and probably many of those responses need to be played out. They need to happen. They need to be applied on a civil level. That's society. Somebody, I think it was Antonio, said before when he opened up the service that we're sinners. The human race is a fallen race. There's no getting away from that. And so actions beget responses, beget reactions. But only God left his throne in glory and came into this world with the answer. Not a reaction, not a response, but an answer. He always goes to the root. And the Bible says that he looked at them and said, they're sheep without a shepherd. As I bowed my knee in prayer the other day, Seeing all this beginning to erupt and break out, I began to pray, pray for our country, pray, Lord, what do we do? And the Lord spoke just as clearly as a bell to me. He said, they are sheep without a shepherd. I said, oh my gosh. And here I was going to ask you to send lightning from heaven. But, <laughs> but then again, I wouldn't be the first person 
that said that. Do you remember James and John were walking with Jesus and the other disciples and they said, Lord, we saw these guys and, and uh, they, were, uh, they, weren't, they weren't following us, but they were trying to cast out devils in your name. Do you want us to, do you want us to, they weren't receiving us either. Do you want us to send lightning, pray that lightning will fall from heaven? Jesus looked at them in love and he said, you know not what spirit you're of. What an, inc- what an amazing answer. I mean, he, he answered them. You don't understand what spirit you're operating on. He didn't say it would be right or wrong to send lightning. He didn't do it. But what he did was he spoke a word to their heart about where they stood and where they were at. And that's where everything begins is you and me. Where are we? And we are, if we are God's people, if we are redeemed, if God in his mercy has saved us out of the world, he certainly wants to save everybody else. And so our position has got to be, Lord, what is your position towards me and what is your position towards everybody else? We want to be of the spirit that he is of. You know, when I look at all the crazy reaction and the behavior, I realize that if we don't see with the eyes of the of the Father, we are going to miss a great opportunity. When people are bewildered, when they're broken, when they're angry, when they feel that everything they've trusted in and all their great expectations have, and they're left in shell shock, have just collapsed, they are exposed, and you get all kinds of reactions, and we see it happening. Fear, however unreasonable those fears may be, however They may be based on wrong perceptions or lies or deceptions. It doesn't matter. The fact is when people are like that, they are wide open. They're vulnerable. They're ready for an answer. And you can't come at people with nonsense. You can't just throw a lot of rhetoric at people when they're open. They're not dumb. Sinners, just like you and I, have a a spirit in their soul. And that spirit can pick up things. They can hear things. They know, and we ought to be praying that they will know the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus. You know, we too are weak. When people act out of their weakness, they look foolish. They look ridiculous. They do ridiculous things. Just like you and I. I'm not going to get up here and confess anything to you. It's not that I couldn't. Because some days I get up in my weakness and I, forgot, I forget to put on strength. And really ridiculous stuff comes out of my mouth. Bad behavior and all kinds of things. You know the old saying, there but for the grace of God go I. We too are weak, but we're living in his strength. I'm still weak. I'm still prone and capable to making big blunders and behaving like a real horse's behind. Um, But then again, that's not news to you. But you know, you know that our strength comes from abiding in Him. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 46, begins in verse 1 that says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord is our strength because we take our refuge in Him. 
You don't get say become a Christian and then all of a sudden you're it. You're all that, you know, in a bag of Doritos and you're strong, you were weak, you were dumb, but now you're smart. None of that stuff. You enter into him. And if you, if you don't abide in him, his strength is in him. And that's where our strength comes from. In Jesus, we enter into strength. In Jesus, we receive comfort. In Jesus, we are given sight. We are blessed with wisdom. We're not wise. We're blessed with wisdom. The Lord picked us up when life let us down. He became the glory and the lifter up of our heads. He turned our mourning into dancing. He calmed our fears with His love. He replaced our ignorance with an understanding so that we could know Him. You know, I often, you know, when I have my just time of connecting with the Lord in the morning, I can't get past that thought. It always is there early on in my prayer. Lord, I can worship you with my understanding because you gave me an understanding to know you. I was an ignorant, angry atheist before I became a Christian with a bad attitude. I had a bad attitude towards life, towards people, but especially God. And how can you be angry and have an attitude towards someone you not only don't know, but you don't even believe he exists? That's really weird. So at any rate, I, I can praise you, Lord, because you've given me an understanding. You came to me. You gave me an understanding. All that we have, we have by grace. It's his gift to us and to the world. And let me tell you, everything he's given you, he wants to give to them. All of them. All of them. They are sheep that need a shepherd. We are and the precipice of a great opportunity. Let's not blow it because we don't see it, because we get offended at people's actions or the things they say or the names they call you. You, you understand? Th these are perilous times. These are treacherous times. All of these things that are going on inside of the name calling, you know, the accusations, the more absurd and the more outrageous they are, the more deadly they are, not because they're true and people believe them, but because they offend people and they capture people. And so they get tangled up in anger and they start reacting and they forget the answer. You and I are not called to be reactors. We're called to be ambassadors of the answer. So let's always walk in the answer. God wants... Listen, let me say it again. It's so simple, but I just don't want this to get by you. God wants them to receive His grace. If, if this week and its events say anything, it's that the Lord is Lord, and He is very interested in our people. He's very interested in our community. He's very interested in our nation. He's very interested in this world. He still loves the world, and He wants to bring people to Himself. About three weeks or a month ago, I was praying, and the Lord dropped. I got up off my feet. I got up on my feet, rather. I got up off my feet. That really would have been something. But um, I got up on my feet, just stopped praying. It was like I had a spiritual jolt or something. 
The Lord spoke to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me a word, and he said, I am going to give you an executable word. I said, oh, my God. Woo, hallelujah. The Lord is going to give me an executable word. And, and I just kind of started repeating it, executable word. I could just feel the authority of God, an executable word. I had no idea what an executable word is. I don't know what that is, but it really sounded powerful, an executable word. So the Lord said, I'm going to give you an executable word. So I began to just cogitate on that, just think about it, just pondering. And, and days went by and a few weeks went by, and I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. And I'm going to give you an executable word, but I haven't been able to put together, well, what is that? What is it? Well, first of all, just in the natural, um, let me give you just a simple natural definition of what the phrase an executable word might mean, just, just purely in, a, you know, in, a, in, a, in everyday terms. Um, first of all, the word executable. Executable simply means in this context, capable of being done with means at hand and circumstances as they are. Capable of being done with the means that are at hand and the circumstances as they are. When Jesus said to the disciples, when they said, send the multitude, 5,000 men plus their families, maybe 20,000 people, and the disciples said, they're hungry, we don't have any food, send them away. And Jesus said, you feed them. That was an executable word. They said, well, we've got two fish and a few loaves of bread. That's all we have. They, he was... They were arguing back with Jesus, saying, we can't do this. But Jesus had spoken an executable word, a word that if they acted on it, it would go to work and fulfill itself. An executable word. So he gave them a little instruction how to act on that executable word, and he said, bring what you've got to me. You could preach a week on that. Bring what you've got to me. He took it, put it in his hands. The Bible says he lifted it up. He blessed it. Then he gave it back to them, put it in their hands. Jesus didn't glide through the crowd and just start throwing out fish sandwiches. That's right, I'm Jesus. Have your free fish sandwich. Enjoy that. Jesus gave the bag, the sack of food, back to the disciples. He said, now you go feed them. And the disciples were like, all right. They start passing out those fish sandwiches, and every time they'd go back in that bag, there was more. And they just, and by the time they were done, they fed about 20,000 people with 12 baskets of food left over. That was an executable word, executable, capable of being done with the means at hand and circumstances as they are. We all think these circumstances got to get better. We need more money, we need more people, we need more influence, we need this, we need that. Oh, but when I get this position, when this happens, when God gives an executable word, you need right where you're at, that's all. Everything that needs to be there for that word to be fulfilled is in the word that he has spoken. Now, in computer science, we hear that term executable, like an executable file or an executable app or a program, but particularly executable file. Some of you computer people would understand what that means. And, and so in computer language, it literally means a computer program that's able to be run. 
a file containing a program that will run as soon as it's opened. Open that file, that file's going to run. An executable word. You open that word, and that word will run. It'll do its thing. Can you say praise the Lord? I don't know, you might, you're a sharp bunch, so you might see where we're going with this. But basically, in spiritual terms, it's a word from God that acted upon will fulfill itself. So three, four weeks ago, the Lord speaks to me and says, I'm going to give you an executable word. And I knew when he was talking to me, he was talking about for you, for Faith Christian Church. He was going to give an ex. It was around, it was shortly after that time, actually. Uh, no, it was around that time that John had the word about two, two services by the end of next year. And um, Jackie O up in Connecticut had the dream about the house with all the rooms and the beds and all the people. And so we were hearing the Lord speak to us about God wanting to expand this house. And so he speaks to me, I'm going to give you an executable word. Well, the other day, and I mean the other day, this week, a couple of days ago, as the Lord was speaking to me and he said, um, uh, they're like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when we pray, it'd be great if God just opens our mind and just drops the whole panorama of what he's trying to say. But if you're like me, I can be a little dense. And sometimes it takes a few days. He's got to give me a phrase one day and then another little piece of the puzzle. It may take me a week to get. And if you ask my wife, she will tell you that it takes me, sometimes it could take years for me to put it all together. To like, and then I'll say to her, oh, Kathy, I, sit down, you've got to hear this. And, you know, she had been trying to tell me that for a long time. So, but around that time when the Lord said, they're sheep without a shepherd, I was praying and the Lord said that, what I just spoke to you, which I'm going to share with you, and I've been kind of sharing it, letting it out, that is the executable word that I'm giving to you. And when I saw it, I jumped up again. Um, I got so excited. It was like, oh my God, I see it. It's coming together. This word about responding at this time, our church going out, responding at this time with Jesus' love and with his grace and going after souls. From the perspective, they are sheep without a shepherd not being distracted by people's reaction, not being offended by their anger, not being, not reacting to the name-calling, difference of opinions about society, difference of opinions about politics, just completely sidestepping all of that and just having that locked-on heart. I'm an ambassador for Christ and He loves you. You, what you need, well, the reason why you need those muffins and that puppy and and that Play-Doh, and you need all that stuff, is because you are a, sh a sheep without a shepherd. You're, you're scared. You're afraid. And, and, you know, the worst thing we could do is say, well, when I grew up, well, <laughs> this is absurd. Because that's a response. And however accurate that response may be, um, it's not an answer. Jesus is the answer. And the Lord said, that's your executable word. And so I think I told you to look up Isaiah 61. 
beginning in verse 1. The first three verses, I'm going to read them to you. Just listen carefully. This is a prophecy Isaiah gave about 712, 714 years before Christ. And this is a prophetic, if you will, a forecast, a word that Jesus is speaking 712 years later. In fact, he enters into the synagogue in Nazareth and picks up the scroll and reads this and says, this day this is fulfilled. So this is Jesus speaking, but Isaiah is prophesying what he's saying 700 years before it happens. So the Lord says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Think of the brokenhearted. You're not looking at him as a poor brokenhearted thing. You're looking at him as you foolish person. But God's looking at him as brokenhearted. And, you know, people's brokenheartedness isn't qualified by what broke their heart. It's the fact that it's broken. Okay, so the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. They think that their liberty is here. And then the liberty failed them. The arm of flesh failed them. And so now they're freaking out. That's because the real liberty they need, they don't know about it yet. And so the Lord has anointed me to go and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to proclaim the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of the vengeance of our God, vengeance against the enemy and demonic presence that bind people's lives and souls so they can't get out of the ruts that they're in. The Lord's anointing is upon me to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those that mourn in Zion and to give them beauty, or a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You know, when people would mourn, they would throw ashes on their head in the, in the Middle East. And so the Lord is saying, I will give you a beautiful turban or a beautiful headdress instead of those ashes, showing kind of that crown of glory, crown of acceptance. Give you beautiful, beautiful headdress, beauty for instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So that he the Lord, so that you may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that he may be glorified. I was watching people, just grown men and women, like spaghetti, like really wet, limp spaghetti, just flopped over, empty. Like they had no skeleton. I mean, the strength going out of them just messed up. They couldn't believe, you know, that things didn't go they want, the way they wanted it to go, and they were just absolutely devastated. But the Bible says, you shall be called oaks of righteousness. You see that stoutness. Like the Lord wants to put that life, that stoutness, that resilience into people. We are all like that limp spaghetti without Jesus. You're not strong because of what you believe. You're not strong because of the opinions you have. You're not powerful because you're right, and you're not weak because you're wrong. We're weak and powerless and broken because we're without God. No matter what style or form that takes. And when you get saved and Jesus becomes Lord of your life, your strength 
is in Him alone. That's where that strength comes from. So I'm going to wrap this up and share with you this executable word that I'm kind of unpacking for you here this morning. So the Lord basically said that He wants to increase our house, just like Jesus spoke about going out into the streets in His parable. Remember He said, I've created a great dinner and I want you to go out and invite the guests to come. And when they invited the guests to come, the guests didn't want to come. And so the Lord said, well, go out now into the highways and the hedges and the prisons and, and go out and invite them to come in. And there still wasn't enough people. And the Lord said, well, now I want you to go out and get the blind and the lame, just the people that are, that are overlooked, and I want you to bring them in so that my house may be filled. So the Lord is speaking a word, I want to fill my house. That's not a church saying, oh, we want to increase, we want to grow. God's saying, I want to grow, I want my house filled. I want my house filled, and I want everybody in it. I want you to go get them. I want you to go get them. That's what he's saying to his servants. I want you to go get those people. And there's a, this is an executable word. This is a word that if you act on it, it's like a program. It'll run. You open it up, it'll unpack itself. In your life, in this church, it'll unpack itself, and it will run. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, you can take that down in your notes. Also in 2 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 4 and chapter 9, there's a very um, unique story. It's not often mentioned about a young man named Mephibosheth. Aren't you glad you didn't grow up there in those days? Mephibosheth. Can you imagine? So Mephibosheth, a really quick little uh, story of Mephibosheth. King Saul was king of Israel. He was a bad guy and... Um, he was trying to kill David. God had raised up David and anointed King David to be king, but David was, was on the run. Saul was trying to kill him. And uh, Saul was rebellious against the Lord. And so Saul ends up dying in battle. And so when Saul dies in battle, Saul has a son who had become best friends with David, and his name was Jonathan, if you remember. And Jonathan and David were best friends. But the day that Saul died in battle, Jonathan died also. And so David lost his best friend the very same day the throne became available for him to become king. Um, Israel coalesced around David and David quickly became king. He became king and he led Israel into its golden age of its most powerful time in history as the tribes united. And there was nobody that could stand before them. David was a powerful king. Israel was, was like an empire in its day during those years. But um, David remembered the covenant that he had with Jonathan, who had been his best friend. And he had acquired Saul's house and all of Saul's riches and all of his lands and all of Saul's servants. And David said, he called his servants, and one of his servants had been a servant of Saul named Ziba. At least that's a shorter name. Ziba is better than Mephibosheth. So he calls Ziba and he says, Ziba, are there any relatives of Saul that are still alive? Because I want to fulfill my covenant that I made with Jonathan and I want to bless them and do them good. Well, you might know that in those days when, um, when a king died and let's say he was um, 
another king came into power and there had been enmity between the two of them. The king that dies or retires or whatever happens to him, his family flees because usually the incoming king would wipe out the family of the former king so that none of the relatives could rise up, grow up, and kill him or betray him. And so when Mephibosheth is just a little boy in David's house, or excuse me, in Jonathan's house, in Saul's, you know, Saul's compound, Jonathan's house, when his father dies in battle. And so the nurse and the servants flee because they all figure we're, David's men are going to be here any minute. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill that boy. So they snatch up Mephibosheth, who's probably about four or five years old, and they run out the door. The, the nursemaid's running with him. She trips and falls and breaks his legs. And he becomes, as a result, lame, and he can never walk. So now he's a cripple. He can't walk. She flees, and she runs to a land called Lodabar, which means a dry place where no water is. And Mephibosheth grows up in the years that follow a bitter, scared outcast who's fled from the face of David because he's convinced David wants him dead, wants to kill him. And so he's been living all these years as an exile. And David one day, let's catch up back to where we were, David says, Ziba, are there any people left? And Ziba says, let me see. I think Mephibosheth, David's son, is still alive. And he is. Where is he? Now, Ziba's probably thinking, he's probably wondering, I wonder if David wants to get him so he can kill him. But David says, I want to show him good. I want to bless him because of the covenant that I made with his father. So he sends his servants out to Lodabar, and they go find Mephibosheth, and they bring him in. And when they bring Mephibosheth before David, there's an amazing little confrontation that takes place. And it says, David said to Mephibosheth, don't be afraid because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father. You will be a regular guest at my table. Then Mephibosheth bowed his head and said, of what importance am I, your servant, that you show regard to a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's attendant, Saul's servant. Saul's dead at this point, you know. And he says to him, Everything that belonged to Saul and to his entire house, I hereby give your master's grandson. And he gave Mephibosheth all of Saul's lands, his wealth, his servants. And for the rest of his life, the Bible says, Ziba ate, or Mephibosheth ate at David's table. It's one of the most wonderful stories of redemption. But the thing to understand is I want you to think about Mephibosheth and how he grew up crippled and was probably angry at life and probably grew up hating David because he was crippled because of David. Had he not had to flee because David would certainly have killed him, he wouldn't have these crippled legs. And he's living as an exile, and he's separated from everything that his family had ever been a part of. And when he hears David's men come to get him, he thinks, this is it, I'm finally going to meet my end. But instead, 
David blesses him. And he said, I loved your father. We were best friends. And I want to give to you all the wealth that I gave to him. You see, Jesus is sending us like his servants with an executable word. This is where you and I come in. The Lord, like David, the King David spoke an executable word to Ziba and to his servants. He said, go find Mephibosheth. Go to Lodabar. Go to the dry land where no water is and bring him to me. That was an executable word. And when they did it, they went and got him. It came to pass and they brought him. But instead of killing him, he blessed him. He made his life as wonderful as it could possibly be and blessed him beyond his wildest dreams. And the Lord has an executable word that he is speaking to you and I this morning. He's saying, go out. Everything that has taken place, there is an opportunity. Hearts are open. Hearts are broken. Uh, People are looking for answers. And not everyone's going to want to hear it. Some people are just going to go, fool, get out of my face. It's all right. There are those who God's dealing with their hearts, and they'll hear. But you have to execute that word. They're not going to come in. The dream that Jackie O had, the word that uh, John had, is not going to just come to pass unless you execute it, unless you go out and do it, unless you act upon it. You act upon it. You take that lunch, put it in Jesus' hand. He'll bless and multiply it. He'll give it back to you. That growth will happen. The house will multiply. But this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying they're like sheep without a shepherd. And in this hour, I want to bring them in. I want to bring them into the flock. Amen. 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 And so, you know what? Stand stand with me. We're going to close. Um, As this sinks in and as you think about it and pray about it, One of the wonderful things about getting a word from the Lord is it eliminates everything else. It becomes primary. All of a sudden now you're not free to have carnal reactions to things in life. You now are on a mission. You've got a focus. You can keep yourself on that focus because you know if I do this, I'm going to be blessed. God will prosper me. The Lord will go with me. Praise the Lord. Jacob, you you have those uh, flyers? Bring them up here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jacob's going to be back there at the door, and he's going to share. He's going to give you a couple of these. You can take as many as you want. We've got a ton of them. And um, just share them with folks. But I want to pray with Jacob and have you agree with me. We're going to pray over these that the Lord will just lead you to the people that you need to talk to this week. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, These just simple little instruments, these little slips of paper, Father, that really represent this house. I'm asking you, Father God, to guide our steps. Lord, whether it's at a restaurant or out shopping or where you happen to be somewhere, in teller window at a bank, Father, or talking to a friend. Lord, we ask you, Father, to anoint what's written in these things that you'll deal with people's heart. This little flyer doesn't save anybody, but you do. And I pray, Father, you will lead us and that you will cause us to go out and to find Mephibosheth and bring him in so that he can receive the blessing that you have for him. So the lie can be broken, so his life can begin. 
Let it be done, Father, in the name of Jesus. We give ourselves to this mission. We will not be diverted. We will not be trapped and caught up in the offense. Lord, we are on a higher mission as ambassadors of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.